Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. It's our uh, Friday segment, Friday wrap, and uh, I'm here as always with my good friend, co-host John, here, and uh, we are back for another property episode. John, how are you? Hi there, David. I'm very well. I'm very well. I had a bit of a sniffle this week, uh, along with almost everyone else, uh, but yeah. uh, I'm doing doing pretty well. I'm one How are you doing, too, mate? <laughs> I think I think listeners will be able to tell from our voices, basically, that we're we're kind of half crooked. But uh, hey, you know, being called on duty to say we got to run the show, so well, here we are. So right. just uh, hopefully, we could get. I didn't know you could get a cold over Zoom, but apparently these things are very contagious these days. So. <laughs> that might be a, that might be a new virus. You never know. You just you just never know. It's got to be careful. Are you social distancing with me now, John? <laughs> and anyway, okay, we can assure our audiences that we're absolutely social distancing here. So that's all good. That's all good. But uh, yeah, we've got our uh, we got another month of interesting property data here. Uh, so I think without further ado, let's uh, let's dig let's uh, dig in. In terms of the in terms of the figures, um, so I think first of all we'll have a look at the uh, the home value index tables around the uh, around the country. You know, going around the capital cities, um, you know, we can see a clear trend of Sydney and Melbourne kind of slowing down, um, and that's across both houses and units. So we're talking about you know houses in Sydney for last month. Uh, there was a reduction of about one point one percent and Melbourne at 0.8%. So this is the monthly figure for houses. Um, and units for Sydney, it's minus 0.7% for Sydney and minus 0.3% for Melbourne. So very little, I mean, small figures we're talking about here. Uh, but the rest of the countries are still going quite well uh, at the moment, right? Like I think, you know, some of the uh, key call outs, I guess, is like Adelaide, for example. Adelaide houses is growing by 1.9%, which is still going very, very strong. And units still going at 1.8% too. Brisbane, though, seems to be slowing down, though, which is kind of like with expectation, I think. Uh, Brisbane is about 0.8% for last month for houses. And surprisingly, units for Brisbane is growing at 1.2%. So units is even better than uh, doing better than... Uh, than houses last month. So uh, I'm trying to scratch my head to understand how that works, John, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, maybe maybe the Brisbane houses has already had a strong run and now it's kind of like, the, you know, the units are starting to catch up a little bit due to, maybe due to affordability. We don't know. Yep. Um, others to mention, Perth, 0.6% uh, for houses, 0.7% for units, so pretty much on par. Uh, Hobart, so the houses have pretty much slowed down for Hobart as well. 0.1% last month for houses and units is 1.3% for Hobart. Okay. So again, this is a story of an interesting one. I think the units are catching up in Hobart, just like in Brisbane mm. at the moment. Uh, and Darwin, 0.8% uh, for houses and a negative 0.2% for units. So Darwin is definitely not a, not a story of units here, basically. So yeah, so I think uh, overall, you know, we're, we're seeing some of the stronger capitals, uh, like, you know, especially Sydney and Melbourne, which had a really good run. Well, I should say Sydney in particular. Sydney has a really, really strong run in the last 12 months, right? Like, we, I think we gained about like 28% within the last 12 months. And now it just kind of starts to come back because of, I think the key thing here is uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty at play at the moment. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like a natural cycle, which I think, you know, John, I hope that you would agree with me is that 
when things shoot up too much within such a short period of time, it's quite natural for things to come back and fall back a little bit. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's right. I think the, the body, you know, breathes in and breathes out and, uh, you know, markets go up and, and go down. And uh, to expect anything other is really just to expect these unrealistic linear gains, which, which don't happen. We can, we can sort of come back to that, um, that mm. concept a little bit later uh, yep. when we say, you know, we'll, we'll ask each other, I guess, is this, is this uh, unusual what we're seeing? But for now, the, the data is the data's telling us a lot of interesting things. Obviously, you know, the big capitals, Sydney and Melbourne, are, are coming back. Um, I wouldn't call this a bloodbath, but this is definitely, the, the market is definitely coming back. And um, uh, in terms of na- national averages, you know, property prices di- did come down 0.1 of a percent. Um, but we're still seeing, you know, the, well, one thing that's interesting is that the, the regional story is still intact. So regional mm. uh, dwelling prices went up by 0.5 of a percent um, in the month compared to city uh, prices, which were down 0.3 of a percent. Um, but I think what you teased out was really, it, it, for me, is the story actually, which is obviously you've got the story, you know, which cities are growing and which cities aren't growing. But I think the other story is that units are starting to assert themselves as, well, I mean, over short periods of time, perhaps the the safe haven right now, because they didn't go up so much last year, they're not really coming down so much. So out of out of all the capitals, um, only uh, units outperformed in, in every city except for Adelaide and Darwin, and which means that units outperformed in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Hobart, and Canberra, which is interesting. Now that that's that's one month. It's not necessarily a trend. It's something that we talked about as being a likely thing to happen, and the thing that underpins that is probably that once you turn the immigration spigots on immigrants tend to go into apartments first as renters. So they don't become buyers for a couple of years. They become their renters and they're pro- most probably in, in um, sort of the city, uh, city apartment market. So very, very interesting. Um, very, very interesting. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that uh, turns out, but yes, we, we are definitely in a softening market and we'll talk about demand and supply in a moment, but mm. uh, there, there are the, you know, d- demand is demand is way down. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's uh, that's a pretty accurate uh, trade off uh, where where the uh, main market was was kind of sitting, and I think, I mean, looking looking forward, I would say sitting at Melbourne probably still has a bit more room to come down at this point, given how much they they anticipate uh, they they've gone up so much. And um, Brisbane, you know, I I don't know about your view, but. Yeah, I think it's it's the the growth has definitely softened, uh, and I think we'll continue to see a softening trend to that. Um, Adelaide's kind of going against the herd, though. I'm quite surprised in terms of how strong Adelaide is, um, and they can still continue. Um, and Perth, look, you know, I think at the moment on the ground, uh, Perth is actually going very very strong. So again, I would probably, you know, raise a bit of eyebrow in terms of whether there's a lagging data indicator in terms of Perth right now. Because on the ground, you know, some of the suburbs that my clients buying, you know, you can certainly see this 50k movements within a few months, um, mm. and that portrays quite a significant jump uh, in that instance. So, anyway, um, so that's a that's a good roundup. Now, John, you know what's what's interesting is the yeah. if we look at if we look at when the markets peaked uh, in terms of their growth, uh, their growth cycle. So um, we can see that. Um, we can see that Sydney actually peaked in terms of the, the speed of the growth, the speed of the growth, Sydney peaked back in May, 2021, which is exactly a year ago, just over a year ago. Um, 
Melbourne peaked in April last year, which is uh, 14 months ago. Brisbane uh, peaked in December. So that's just uh, five months ago. And, uh, and Adelaide peaked in, in January of this year. Uh, so, so it's interesting to see when the peak growth was. And actually, we've moved way in, in sort of the, particularly the big markets, Sydney, Melbourne, we've actually moved past uh, peak growth by more than a year. Um, so the, the, this bull market that we talk about, the 2021 bull market, it's actually a, uh, it was actually a bull market in the first half of 2021, not the whole the whole year, although you know the prices did drift up for most of the second half. So what's interesting in terms of when did the markets peak out in terms of their growth is also comparing, I guess the, the, the two markets that we're kind of largely speaking about, which is Brisbane, and Sydney and Melbourne. I'll, I'll group Sydney and Melbourne in as, in as one market. So Brisbane peaked in December and Sydney peaked in May, which means that there's sort of a seven-month gap, um, a seventh-month lag between what Brisbane's doing and what Sydney and Melbourne are doing. If this is true and if, the, if Brisbane's operating like Sydney and Melbourne but with a seven-month lag, what we would expect to see is probably Brisbane's got one more month to move higher and then potentially start to move down in July. So we'll, we'll, that's one to watch. I mean, this is not that scientific. It's just looking at rhythms and 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 uh, whether or not the past rhymes or 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 repeats. But yeah, well, I'd be looking for Brisbane to start coming down in the second half of this year, starting probably in July, but maybe even in June. Yeah, it is an interesting pattern. I think that's uh, that's kind of spotted there, right? So um, yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really good point that you, you are, that you pointed out. So I guess our audiences might be able to make a bit of inference based on the peak growth and then see how the velocity of, in terms of the, of the slowdown uh, is going to be uh, in that sense. But yeah, it, yeah, it, it's interesting. Melbourne, Melbourne peaked at April 21, uh, which is even, even before yeah. Sydney. Say. Hmm. I, wonder if, I wonder if Melbourne, I mean, Perth is the dark horse still. Uh, you, said, you, you sort of mentioned that before, like the data is not really cooperating. But it's hard to see Perth not not being quite strong at the moment. Um, but Melbourne, Melbourne's the other dark horse as well. Melbourne really never Melbourne was locked down for most of twenty twenty one, so it didn't participate as much as it, it otherwise could have. And it, because it didn't have that those big upswings, it, um, it it's also not going to have. You'd think that the the, the big downswing as well. So mm. Melbourne's Melbourne's one to watch. Oh, absolutely. Also, Especially when you look at the median value between Brisbane and Melbourne. Like I think they're only about, for houses, they're only about 100K difference now. That is such a good point. I, I was going to say something similar. Canberra's the second most expensive city in, mm. in, in Australia after Sydney. It should be Melbourne. Melbourne is the, the second, you know, should be the second most expensive city, sometimes the most expensive city. So, yeah, Melbourne's been left behind a little bit. So I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be watching that market for sure. I think so, uh, especially with uh, with Melbourne and Sydney being the first place for immigrants to come in mm. in the next few years, and we know that uh, you know the uh, the government definitely has uh, has plans in terms of bringing in lots and lots of immigrants. So um, yeah, I think they're going to find, like you said, initially they're going to rent, but once they settle down um, and you know potentially got their PRs and everything sorted out, they will definitely be looking at purchasing a property and settling down in those cities. So I think Melbourne's going to benefit a, a big time from that, and it's going to sh- and, it's going to, and the prices will shoot up from their point onwards. So, 
Mm, okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, do you want to touch on a bit about the listings and uh, that, that, yeah, the listing figures that you've seen so far, the trend there? Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be quick on this. So this is, but it's it's important stuff. So this is what what's the supply and the demand of the the property market. So on the supply side, you've got how many properties are being advertised, and on the demand side, you've got how many properties are being purchased. Right. So, so um, and the reason this is 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 important is because you can have a situation like we had in 2020 during the first lockdown where demand collapses. There were no buyers during 2020 and prices didn't fall. And that's because there was nothing to buy. So there were no sellers either. So this kind of, um, so when people say that demand has collapsed uh, at the moment, they're right. But but if supply goes down as well, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to be reflected in prices. Uh, so um, just very quickly. So the, 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 Nationally, the uh, advertised stock levels are 10% below this time last year, and they're 28% below the previous five-year average. Um, Sydney actually has uh, slightly higher um, advertised stocks. So Sydney's got 5% more stock than a year ago, and Melbourne's got about 1.5% um, more stock than a year ago. So um, overall, stock levels are down, except Melbourne and Sydney, where stock levels are slightly higher. However, if we look at... Um, if we look at the uh, the amount of properties being purchased, uh, we can see that. Um, uh, let me see this. So, so while nationally the number of advertised houses is down by ten percent, the number of um, properties being sold is down nineteen percent. Um, if we look at Sydney, Sydney's um, again like listings are up five percent, but the amount of properties that are being purchased is down 33%. And this is why prices are dropping in Sydney because you're having buyers just leave the market. So yep. the, the amount of actual properties being purchased is down 33%. Yeah. Um, that's that's a big number. So, and, and Melbourne, it's it's similar, not as much. So Melbourne is, uh, you know, about flat in terms of the number of stock uh, being advertised, but the, the amount of uh, properties being um, purchased is down 21%. So what, we'll, what we would see is discretionary sellers are going to leave the market as well. Again, this is what we saw in 2020. So uh, only people who have to sell are going to sell. Um, people who would like to sell are going to hold off because they're not going to get their price. And this is how the market just uh, is like a weighing machine. This is how the market evens itself out. And this is why I don't expect prices to plummet. I think that we're just um, we're going to muddle a little bit lower for a little bit longer. But mm. uh um, but but what we'll see is supply dry up, which which is starting to happen. As, as yeah, as yeah, supply and also the demand is starting to be, get curbed as well, isn't it? Like you yeah. mentioned, yeah, basically. So it's like both the supply and the demand starting to go down at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, demand is demand is falling more sharply, uh, mm. but you know, th there's a couple of factors. So there's a there's for some reason, this always happens in the lead up to an election. So I don't, I don't know what exactly is going to change when you're making a 30-year purchase if uh, you, you want to wait for the election. But but people do. So people. So th there's a lot of buyers on the sidelines and sellers on the sideline in the lead up to an election. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, uh, the the rhetoric around interest rate increases that they're going to interest raising interest rates 50 basis points at every meeting for the next 18 months and and that that sort of thing. That's terrifying. If that happens, uh, and I'll, I'll eat my hat if it does, but that that that's enough to keep a buyer away from the market. I don't think it's going to happen, but there's been a lot of talk and far less action on interest rates. Um, but people are right to be cautious about that stuff as well. Oh, totally. And I think it's one of the it's definitely one of the key indicators in terms of curbing demand. 
especially we all know that at the moment, you know, uh, we've got inflation that's uh, that's still going very, very strong at the moment, which is the main reason why RBA had to increase cash rate, which is why the mortgage repayment or the mortgage interest rate is also going up. It's all, it's all mm. just a battle against inflation. But from what we're gathering, I think I, I saw on the news yesterday, the electricity is expected to double. Electricity prices are expected to double. And the oil prices due to the Ukraine situation is not getting any easier at the moment. So I think the oil price is still going to remain high for some time. The groceries mm. in the supermarkets, and I think this is uh, coming from Coles, right? Like they, they're, they're forced to have to hike and pass on the prices back to consumer just because their supplier has been forced to increase their, their cost as well. So, you know, ultimately, I think we're seeing a multiple angles in terms of edging the customers and, 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 and the household budgets at the moment, squeezing, squeezing, squeezing it very tight. So when people start to become a bit more cautious and working out their houses go, oh, what happens with my mortgage repayment if the interest rate goes up by 1% from today? Mm. And, you know, adding the inflationary pressure that's going around at the moment that's why, you know, a lot of people might be just put their, put their plans on hold right now in terms of, okay, well, maybe I should put the investment property plan a bit later um, so that I can save up a bit more to wear out the store. So, yeah, I think it's all about uncertainty at the moment. That's the, that's the yeah. main thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think people are, you know, necessarily, you know, you know unable to uh, afford properties compared to say November, which was just just recently. I think that there's a lot more uncertainty, um, you know, with in, uh, Ukraine invasions and, and those sorts of things. And inflation's the big hot topic, as you say. So I agree. But inflation does does raise a, another point. So where inflation pops up in the housing market is not in house prices that that's considered an asset price, not a consumer price. It's all about the rents. And we're not going to go into it, but rents are much, much higher. So rents for Sydney are around nine to 10% higher than they were a year ago. And that's basically the, you know, similar to all the other capital cities. So rents are up about 10%, which is where the inflation is going. And, and that, that is, you know, the only reason we, I raise rents is because if you're a property investor, you can't ignore the, the, the rental returns. You can't ignore the cash flow because we, we, we focus uh, on, uh, you know, almost obsess about house prices, but actually, as a as an investor, your return is a combination of capital growth and uh, and rent returns. And and if rents are going up at ten percent, but prices are going down by five percent, you're still up. You're you're still up. So I think you know we we risk ignoring rents at our own peril. And rents are kind of what keeps you in the game. It's it's almost what makes it worth doing. Uh, so rent, rents rents are up, and that's all part of that CPI as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and totally. I think I'm glad that you brought it to, uh, to rents because I think the you know the yield is the, the, especially the rental yield is essentially a big KPI in terms of how a, a property is performing, right? Um, and the rent is what's keeping you, like you said, keeping you in the game because yes, while the while the capital growth is what can what you can get out of it and what's going to get you out of the game, but the rent is what's going to keep you in the game for long run? Can you hold it for 20 years whatsoever? And a lot of that component relies on the rent. So, you know, with the gross rental yield starting to recover, and I think with, you know, Sydney's rent going very, very strong, you never know, maybe in 12 months time, you know, we'll see a lot of investors coming back in Sydney again, because number one, the house prices have dropped, but the rent has gone up as well, which means the gross rental, which means the gross rental yield is going to look a lot better. 
Yeah. And look, I don't know if, if I'm a leading indicator and I don't know I am, but as a buyer's <laughs> agent, I, I was busier in Q2 than I was in Q1 oh, there you um, go. in terms of, in terms of inquiry. So, so that, that you, you know, you never know if that's a leading indicator or just a, an outlier. <laughs> we always look at you as a leading indicator oh, there, John. So <laughs> fashion mainly, you know, uh, what's John wearing at the moment? Cause he's uh, yeah, cutting edge. That's right. Um, but look, I wonder, look, just bringing it home though. What, yeah. uh, what's your take on like, what's your take on and maybe you can bring kind of a lending angle to this but mm. what's your take on where we are uh, in compared to 2018 and the reason i raised 2018 because if you remember listeners that's when the apra came down and turned the screws and at the end of 2017 there's a bit of a crash and, yeah. and the markets dropped about 15 percent in 2018 then in 2019 they reversed course and the markets went back back up but is this two th- the bloodbath that was 2018? Is that what we're seeing? Uh, or uh, is this a, just a, a usual vanilla correction? At the moment, it looks more to be just a, a correction, to be honest, rather than an actual bloodbath. Number one, the borrowing capacity hasn't actually been impacted that much at the moment. Remember, the only, the only lending tweaks that the APRA has implemented in comparison to 2018, 2018, they pretty much capped all the interest-only lending, right? Which was the, the bloodline or the lifeline for investor. But mm. what they've done last year was just increasing the um, the existing, sorry, the buffer rate from 2.5% to 3%. So that's that has a very little subtle effect in terms of people's borrowing capacity. So as of today, you know, the actual borrowing capacity in comparison to, say, six months ago, like this is we we're now in June, right? So we're talking about January, hasn't changed that much at all. Now, <clears throat> so if borrowing capacity is still there, um, which and, and that just means you know people can still borrow the same amount as what they wanted to back in January, it really just comes down more to a sentiment at the moment. And you know, like like what we mentioned before, the the uncertainty around the interest rate at the moment, the uncertainty around the inflation. Uh, and then household budget in six months' time, let's say, how is it going to pan out is what's really driving people from taking action or not taking action and just want to make sure, you know, they, they sit on the sideline and see, okay, what's really going to happen? What's really going to pan out? Now, the other factor to consider is that every time when the interest rate rises, the borrowing capacity does diminish a little bit because, uh, the, you know, the, because of the fact that um, the interest rate will have to add the 3% buffer on top. So if you imagine, you know, yesterday you're on 2.5% and today RBA raises cash rate and now you're going to be 2.75%. You add another 3% on top, which means when banks calculate your borrowing capacity, your ongoing repayment will be higher than what it was yesterday. So every time as they increase interest rate, your borrowing capacity will get a lot less, a bit less, a bit less, a bit less. Okay, so depending on how many how many shots are going to fire on the RBA cash rate? Uh, that may also have a detrimental effect on the borrowing capacity, which then automatically leads to a slight decline in terms of the prices. So, you know, I think that it's all kind of logical when you think of it this way. The other thing I want to point out as well is um, APRA is not doing, is, is still doing in the background. They're still tweaking things in the background at the moment, even though they haven't announced it publicly, but, you know, from a broker's eyes and, you know, we can see this, uh, for example, a few weeks back, they have they have actually, uh, well, I should say, ANZ and NAB have actually reduced their debt to income ratio limits or DTI uh, from nine to seven point five times. Okay, so 
from nine times to 7.5 times. So what that means is they used to allow you, if you can service a loan, to borrow up to nine times of your income, barring that you can service a loan, but now the maximum is only 7.5%. Why do I do that? Well, I have a feeling that APRO is in the background tapping their shoulders say, hey, we're now kind of in the risky territory. You should not be lending up to 9%. Can you drop it down to 7.5%, a more reasonable figure? So mm-hmm. they are definitely doing something in the background to try to make sure that the, you know, the ongoing lending feasibility is still going and so that they're not putting people into hardship because DTI is a very key indicator in terms of, yeah, like um, basically uh, financial stress and household stress, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And what's, what's DTI for, for listeners who may not know? Uh, debt to income ratio. Yeah, so it's the, it's a, if you divide if you divide if you work out your total debt divided by your total income of the household, that figure. Um, if you typically you know they don't want you to go over six, so six is kind of like a a, a basic limit. A lot of lenders will decline your loan um, if you if you go over six, but for investors, some allow you to go up to about seven point five percent. Previously, the like ANZ and NAB would allow you to go up to nine. Now they scale it back, basically. Right. So- okay. If you've got an income of a hundred thousand, you can borrow six hundred thousand at a DTI of six. Correct, yeah, roughly that. Yeah, so very, very interesting. I mean, so I kind of, I think that the, the, I agree. Or like I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of subtle kind of mm. tweaking happening in the background, and and I also don't agree that it's 2018 unless something else happens. Uh, but. Um, my is kind of zoom, when I zoom out, I've got two perspectives. One is that 2021, the big moves up we saw in 2021 and the, the tail end of 2020 almost served to undo the, the big crash in 2018, which wasn't that, wasn't that long before. So in a sense, 2021 was a correction period, mm. not an aberration. It was a correction of the 2020, the 2018 market correction. And the reason that's important is because if it was correcting something, that means it's itself doesn't need to be corrected, which which is to say, if 2021 corrected 2018, then we don't need to give that back. That means it's going to come down gent- gently as a gentle correction, but it doesn't need to be a crash because we already had that in 2018. The other thing, and you, you quite rightly talk about inflation, and, and again, if I zoom out, and if we're you and I are chatting in 2030 and you know eight years from now, are we going to look back and say, there was all that inflation back in 2022, 23. Why the hell did we sell our real estate? Or why didn't we buy real estate? So generally speaking, if, 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 if there's inflation, you want debt and assets, right? Correct. That, generally speaking, right? So this could be different, of course, right? But if I look at the 70s and the early 80s and those sorts of periods, um, generally speaking, those who acquire debt to pay for assets do very income producing assets, I should say, yeah. do very well out of periods of inflation. So, uh, we, you know, we, we won't know until 2030 what what ha- had in store, but I can't imagine us not looking back and saying, of of course we should have held on to the assets because there's there, there was inflation. The people who are calling for a big crash and crash in asset prices, I, I feel are making an in, a deflationary case for inflation, which just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Um, but, um, but yeah, market's correct and, and anything is possible, of course, because, you know, stuff happens. So, and bubbles are out there. There are bubbles out there. So that's such an important point, John. I think a lot of times, you know, if you step back and and think about how property investors really making money, it's because the debt in the background is getting inflated away in the long run. 
And that's how people make money. That's how people create wealth is by taking a long term, right? 10 years, the loan today might be $500,000, but in 10 years, it's not going to be $500,000. Well, it could be, but the value of that is going to be very different from today. Mm. So, you know, whilst the asset prices continue to inflate, the debt does not increase and it will just continue to get eroded away. That's the key game that we're playing here. So, you know, people don't need to be scared of inflation. As a matter of fact, they probably should be thinking, it's a great time to be acquiring assets because I know my debt is going to get inflated away in the long run. So the key thing here is hold it for long term. I think, you know, like you said, like you mentioned a lot of times, John, you need to step back a little bit, think about more of a longer horizon, 10, 20 years, that kind of things. That's where the real wealth has been created. Sounds good to me. Mm. Anything else you want to add in, John? No, just great chat. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, yeah, great chat. Go, go property. <laughs> Yeah, that's it, mate. That's it. Thanks for your insights as always, mate. Um, and as always, uh, you know, uh, thank you everyone for joining us. If you've got any feedback for us, uh, feel free to comment on, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the platform that you're using. Uh, if you like the contents or if you like what you're listening today, uh, don't forget to give us a five-star review or uh, just let us know what you like to listen more. And uh, until next time, um, stay safe and uh, we'll see you again in another episode of Spark Your Fire.